if you've been around for any amount of time, then you know that we're going through the book of Philippians verse by verse. And I'm loving this. I don't know how you feel about it, but I just think that God's word is enough and it's edifying and it's powerful. And so last week we finished up chapter one and uh, this week we jump into the first couple of verses of chapter two, specifically verses one and four. So I'm gonna open up, I'm gonna read this passage, I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna preach. Does that sound okay? All right, if you're ready to hear, shout amen. Amen. Here we go, Philippians 2, verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing. Everyone say agreeing. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind in purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take interest in others too. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. We are so grateful, honored to be in your house with your people. Um, God, I pray for an anointing right now that would allow for this message to be powerful and effective. I pray for sensitive hearts, for the soil of our hearts to be tilled, ready, prepped to receive the seed of your word. Let it take root in our heart. Let it grow to produce fruit in our lives. We don't just want to hear your word. We want to live it out. We want to do it. And so help us, make us more like your son, Jesus. And I pray this church would continue to foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we read um, out of chapter one in Philippians, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're gonna be destroyed, but that you're gonna be saved even by God himself. As Paul writes to the Philippian church, specifically in verses 27 and 30, he provides exhortation for how they're supposed to deal with their relationships on the exterior. Okay, not everybody's gonna love their message. Not everybody's gonna be kind. They may be mistreated because of what they believe, but he gave them clear instruction onto how they were to conduct themselves. As we move into chapter two, uh, the script flips, he starts to provide instruction for how to deal with relationships on the interior. We've moved away from the exterior, so now he's talking about how we engage with one another within the church, believer to believer. Um, so as we move through verses one through four, we will recognize that this is about how we're supposed to conduct ourselves as we're amongst one another. I just wonder, has anyone in the room ever been asked a rhetorical question? Maybe you've been the one asking the rhetorical question. Like if you're a parent, maybe it's manifested in this way. Are those toys going to put themselves away? If you're a wife to your husband, maybe it's manifested in this way. Do you think I plan to clean this house by myself? Uh, Maybe your boss has asked you, is it my job to handle everything or are you getting paid for this? Rhetorical questions. We love to ask them. We hate to answer them. Amen. (laughs) 
Because rhetorical questions aren't really questions. They're statements that are clothed in question attire, right? Uh, They're really not meant to be answered. They're really just statements. And so I know my assignment is to preach Philippians 2 verses 1 through 4. But before I do, there was a couple verses that I wanted to hit that I think are going to be imperative to have an understanding of before we move into the first part of Philippians chapter 2. So I want to look at 1 Corinthians 15. This is another one of Paul's letters. Uh, It was written to the church in Corinth. This church is experiencing a lot of corruption. So he's writing to this church as an overseer, as an apostle to help provide some clear instruction and kind of swab away the mess. But this is one of the things he wrote in his first letter to the Corinthians. He wrote this out. And this is a powerful truth that we need sealed in our spirit. It says this, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies, everyone say physical bodies, our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. Everyone say secret. Come on, secret secrets are no fun. Wow. That was painful unless they are for everyone. Here we go. All right. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. This is good news. You and I, as as Jesus followers, as we've placed our faith in Jesus, we're not going to die. We're just going to be transformed. This is the best news. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will all be raised to live forever. And we who are living will be transformed for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies will be transformed into immoral bodies. Okay. We're all going to heaven with six packs. Let's shout amen. Amen. So then uh, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death. Where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? One of the most glorious things about following Jesus is death. The thing that provides us potentially the most fear is stripped of its power. It's stripped of its sting. So no matter what happens to me on this earth, there's always hope. There's always good news, right? It's this information that allows us to endure, to live with this heavenly perspective that like, hey, at the end of the day, we're all gonna be transformed. And and although sometimes it gets a little foggy and it gets a little dark, there's coming a day where it's all gonna be good. This is good news. And it's because of Jesus. It's because of what he's done. Whether we all want to admit it or not, death in its many forms I think is one of those things that we're most tempted to fear. It's the reason we get nervous when we're on a plane and there's turbulence and our life is flashing before our eyes. It's the reason I know for me personally, I don't go swimming at night, okay? I don't know what's in that water. Why? Scared to die. Scared to die. You know, more seriously, it's, it's, uh, you you know, it's um, when, when sickness invades, We can be fearful. We're scared to lose the people we love. And I think even apart from physical death, I think some of us, we we fear the death of our rapport with people. 
So we carry ourselves in a way to be approved by all. Maybe we even compromise or or we're scared of the death of our own joy or our own peace. And so we look for it in a blunt or in a bottle. Death, we, we fear it in its many forms. And it's so easy for us to cling to these physical bodies and to our physical feelings and emotions that um, like, like they're all we're gonna ever know. But the word reminds us, death has been swallowed up in victory. Amen? That Jesus through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, by grace through faith, he set us free from the sting and the trap of death. In fact, what the cross did is it disarmed the enemy of one of his greatest weapons, death. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus on the cross disarmed him from having the ability to do those things to us. Amen? So through a relationship with Jesus, I know that this life is temporal and the best is yet to come. I know that might be corny. That's cliche. Every church has it on their wall in their building, but it's the truth. It's the truth for those who believe in Jesus, who follow Jesus, is the best is yet to come. My only response appropriate to my relationship with Jesus is to feel, is to feel divine encouragement and to feel divine comfort because in Jesus, it's all good. It's all good. What encourages me further about my relationship with Jesus is not what he's made available to me though. It's who he's made available to me. In John 14, he sits down with his disciples and he's having a conversation. He makes multiple mentions of his advocate, his helper, the comforter. It's the Holy Spirit. John 14 says this, but when the father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. As believers in Jesus, we're all provided the same teacher for our souls, the Holy Spirit. He's living, he's at work within us. He's giving us power to obey Jesus. He's producing fruit, joy, peace, patience, goodness, self-control, all these things. He's, he's alive and he's active within us. It's the Holy Spirit that shapes and molds our hearts and produces spiritual fruit in our lives. So when Paul opens up chapter two with a couple of questions, it doesn't take long to realize that these are not real questions that are to be answered. These are rhetorical questions that are statements about the truths of what we receive in Jesus. That's how they're to be read. So when we read Philippians 2.1, it's almost as if he's asking these things sarcastically. Like you already know the answer. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? I don't know, maybe that death has lost its sting, right? Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Yes. Any comfort from his love? Yes. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Yes. Are your your hearts tender and compassionate? We know the answer is yes or should be yes to all of these questions. But then Paul says in verse two, as a result of all those things, then make me truly happy by agreeing. Everyone say agree. Agree, agreeing. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Agreeing with each other loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, and this is a call to harmony. This is a call to like-mindedness. This is a call to unity 
in agreement. Paul's like, we need to recognize that we're all on the same team. We have the same dream. And not only did Jesus in the upper room discourse towards the end of John pray for a divine unity that would testify to the goodness of God, a unity that would set apart the church from the rest of the world, a unity that would be so attractive that it would contribute to the growth of the church. That's what Jesus prayed for. But in Matthew 18, Jesus said this. He said, I'll also tell you this. 18, uh, verse 19 and 20. If two of you agree, everyone say agree. Agree. If two of you agree here on earth, there's unity, if there's harmony, if two of you agree concerning anything you ask, my father in heaven will do it for you. There is power in agreement. Verse 20 says, for where two or three gather together as my followers... I'm there, I'm among them. There's power in agreement that exists in the church and his presence invades where believers gather. There's something powerful and effective about the unity of the body. Our unity testifies of the goodness of God and what he does in the human heart. But as we continue to read, we'll discover that unity and agreement cannot exist without humility. Humility is essential for those things to exist in their full capacity. In verses three and four, Paul addresses some things head on that would be a direct threat to any agreement or unity that would try to break out in the body. So we, we have to think if there's power and effectiveness in our unity, in our agreement, great place for the enemy to attack is in a way that's gonna disrupt the agreement and unity of the body, amen? And so if humility is what is essential for these things to uh, manifest in their full capacity, then a great way to break up the unity is to fall into the trap of being self-absorbed, self-centered, and selfish. Because it's those things that will directly disrupt any unity or agreement in the body. We start thinking, what's best for me? What title do I need? Well, I, I, well, I've done all this. Look, look at all this. Why is no one, and the reason I know this is true because Paul begins to lay out specific warnings to help protect the unity and agreement of the body, okay? First one is this, Philippians 2, 3, first part of the verse. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. ESV says it like this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Here's what we're gonna have to decide as as members of the church who are desiring to see God glorifying unity break out in this body, we have to make the decision, what do we love more, promotion or people? I'll explain, but we got to decide. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. What do we love more, promotion or people? How many of us have left the church because we didn't get the role we wanted? You weren't given the accolades or the hug on stage in front of everybody, applauding the service that you did, acknowledging how much you served and the hours that you put in. How many of us stopped loving and we stopped serving others because the preferred title wasn't bestowed upon us? We gotta be so careful that our motives aren't praise from people but instead our motives are solely found in praise from our father 
in acknowledging, serving, and worshiping him. Ministry, if you've been involved in any sort of capacity, very quickly can become a, about us. It can very quickly become about, look what I did, look what I can do, right? Ministry can very quickly become about us. And Paul says clearly, do not make it about you. If it becomes about you, unity, harmony, it's gonna be broken in this place. And then I wonder if we read things like this, you know, out of the ESV, it said specifically, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And I wonder if we read a phrase like that, do nothing out of selfish ambition and we grow discouraged in our own soul because we equate selfish ambition with chasing dreams. And then we like roll our eyes thinking, oh, so don't be selfish ambitious. Now I can't make dreams and have goals because I'm a Christian, right? And that's not true. It's just that as believers, the intention and the source of our ambition changes from self to spirit. We have a new filter. We're not self-ambitious. Now we're ambitious to carry out the things Holy Spirit is putting in your heart to do. And here's what I found, that sometimes those God dreams and that God vision and those Holy Spirit whispers are more fearful than my self-ambition because they require faith. And you know what faith is? Confidence in what I can't see. Some of us need to be still enough to say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Because he may just have you start a business. He may just have you open up a group home. He, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I found sometimes those faith dreams, those Holy Spirit dreams and visions are even scarier than our self ambition. The other word mentioned was do nothing from a place of conceit and conceit. All it means is excessive pride in oneself. Our lives should be about Christ becoming more, us becoming less. It's the first part of Philippians 2, 3. Second part says this, be humble. Remember, these are warnings Paul's giving to help protect unity and agreement in the body. Okay, so um, he, he, we already covered the first part. The second part of Philippians 2, 3 says, be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. ESV says it like this, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I wonder, like, can you just imagine walking into a place, into a gathering, into a body that actually lived this out. Like we were, we were solely committed to counting others as more significant than ourselves. Think about how refreshing that might be. Well, what a refreshing environment where it doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your height, doesn't matter how you look, doesn't matter what job you have, just whatever demographic you fall into, it doesn't matter. You walk into this place and you're loved and you're honored and you're seen. It would be the most honoring and encouraging atmosphere we could ever engage with. And, and, and so I just, I just think about this like, man, we gotta, you know, how can we do this? How can we cultivate this culture in this house? And I just want to get real specific for a moment because there's a lot of ways this verse can apply to our lives and I can think of multiple examples, but I just wanted to preach something very, very practical related to this verse. Okay, just a practical place that we can start where if we're going to get better at this, this is something we can implement immediately. I want you to take inventory of your conversations even just this morning. Like what you've already said, what's been said to you, but even thinking about in the conversations that we're going to have in the rest of the day, and ask yourself this question, take, take real inventory. How many questions did I ask the other person about themselves? Did I ask them? 
You ever sat through a conversation with someone? Maybe it's often. And all that's talked about is what they need, what they don't have, what's going on in their marriage, how well their kids are doing, how well their kids aren't doing, the drama at work, their fears, their struggles, whatever it might be, and you sit there and it's two hours and it's about them and their family and their trials, their stories. Listen, it's not that we can't tell each other stories, but for us, week after week, day after day, to not share anything other than our own personal stories and issues is never gonna lead someone into believing that we actually believe they're more significant than us, right? But if I sit here and I have conversation with you and I say, how are you? How is your marriage? How are your kids? How is your job? What are you fearful of? What are your dreams and aspirations? That, the, the, the reason that that might be meaningful is because it probably makes someone feel like, oh, you actually care. This is the most practical way we can live out the phrase, count others more significant than yourselves. The reason I'm able to ask you questions about you and I wanna know about what's going on in your lives is because you're more significant than me. So I don't need to talk about myself. I don't need to tell you all the ins and outs. I would love if you asked me the same questions back, you know, because we all love to talk about ourselves, amen? But, but, but in a culture of honor, that's gonna happen anyways. So we can give away freely. You want, you want others to be made to feel significant, seen, valued, and loved? Ask them questions about themselves. It's that easy. That'll preach, amen? amen. In this house, we value others as more significant than ourselves. I could go on with practical examples of how we can live this out. Like park further away. You park in the mud so someone else doesn't have to. <laughs> I know it's a struggle out there. We're working on it, y'all. Uh, you know, sit in the middle of the section rather than on the end so everybody doesn't have to walk over you. I know you want the wiggle room and, you know, or, or how about this one? I love this one. On Easter Sunday, you sit one, serve two amen. instead of one. Come on, everybody shouted. <laughs> Amen. Sign up twice. We got three services that day. Amen. Um, so sometimes, you know, preparing these messages, though, they can be like, they, they can be painful for me because the message preaches to me before it preaches to you. And so I get to process through all the ways I've done all the things Paul is telling us not to do. But I'm grateful because I can become more aware like, ah, the enemy loves when I act like this. I, I need to be free from this. I need to repent of this. He's hoping that I wouldn't realize how I've been giving into self-preservation and selfishness and, and self-first thinking. And so this is where we need to be still so we can be sensitive to how Holy Spirit is convicting our hearts. And then we can reset our harmful behaviors and our poor patterns that won't lead this body into greater agreement and richer unity. So like, Lord, you reveal to me, where have I been selfish? Where has I made it about me and not about others? Because I don't want to hinder the agreement or the unity of the body because I want to operate in the fullness uh, that you have for this house. Last verse, worship team, you can come. You guys like going verse by verse? Good, good, me too. Philippians 2.4 says this. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. 
if we're gonna protect the unity, if we're gonna protect agreement in this house, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I was writing this week and I was reminded of uh, back in middle school, seventh grade, I moved to a brand new town, small town. And I know no one in this room knows how small town dynamics can be complicated. (laughs) But they can be. And uh, so I'm in seventh grade. We moved to this town. I love playing sports growing up. A lot of you guys know I ended up playing college football and sports were always a big part of my life and played tons of them. And so I show up to this town and um, there's tryouts for the middle school basketball team. I try out for the middle school basketball team and I, I make the team. But the problem was there was only like a certain amount of spots on the middle school basketball team. So me getting a spot meant that other kids didn't get a spot, okay? And this can be complicated. And so, you know, some kids end up not making the team partially because of me. And I remember, this is a true story. We had parents complain to my parents that it was my fault their kid didn't make the team, okay? I, and, and, and I struggled to find my fit as the new kid on a new team. There was one practice, I actually punched a kid out, true story. I was struggling, y'all. Come on, you got sin in your life too. I, you know, I, I did a play. I've told you guys about back in the day when I was Aladdin in a play. And uh, so my whole team finds out that I was Aladdin in this play. And, uh, you know, the same time High School Musical was like really popular and coming out. And the, the little Disney Channel movie. And, and the main character, he plays basketball and he like sings and does the plays. And his name was Troy. So the whole team started calling me Troy. Okay, and it sounds funny now, but it hurt my feelings then. All right? So... It's just like I'm on this team, I'm punching people, they're calling me Troy. And then, um, you know, come to find out there was like some of the parents were calling the coach and they were like, my kid's better than Mark. Why is, why is Mark starting over my kid? And so I just, uh, there was, you know, I'm struggling to find my fit with the team, but the coach, his name was Tommy Tess. And this dude was an eccentric character. He has these iconic mannerisms. You know, he's a city guy. He's just an absolute character. He's full of charisma, full of passion. And, um, you know, he, he recognized that the small town dynamics could be difficult. And so for whatever reason, he was always really good to me. When everybody else wasn't on the team, he was good to me. And I remember one day we sat down and he's like, uh, he called me Griff. He's like, he's like, Griff, Griff, this kid's father is calling me, wanting, wanting me to play him over you. I, I don't do that, Griff. I don't do that. All right. You're an athlete, Griff. You're going to play Griff. You know, just spoke life into me. Just, just encourage me. And, and, and it's funny because the kids whose parents was calling, I know that kid was better than me. That's not like, you know, false humility. The kid was better than me, okay? But Tommy Tess put me on the team and he put me on the floor even when it wasn't in his best interest. He was a Catholic man and I just wonder, did he read what Paul wrote? Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. Because even though it inconvenienced him, he looked out for my interests and he made way for me. Made room for a kid that was struggling. Paul's trying to get the church to understand that if we will consistently 
care more about impressing God over impressing people, if we will humble ourselves, if we will die to our selfishness, if we will count others as more significant and take genuine interest in others, we won't have any other option other than to operate in agreement and unity. It'll be something that continuously grows in this house. It's about humility. And we're going to discover next week, Pastor Jesse, he's going to preach on this passage. It's going to be powerful. I love when Pastor Jesse preaches. And uh, it's going to talk about the humility of Christ. And Christ is our Lord, is our master, set the greatest example. In fact, it says this, though he was in the form of God, even though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Our Lord and our Savior has, has put on the greatest demonstration of what it looks like to live with humility, where he left the glory of heaven to inhabit human flesh, to come and live as a, as a man. And so I wanted to end service um, today was just kind of praying about, you know, what, what the end of service was supposed to look like. And uh, we can turn the lights down in here, just provide a little privacy I know that I was, I, as I was preparing this message, as I was going through it, there were multiple times where my heart just got convicted, maybe even about a specific circumstance. And I just wonder for you, as you listen today, you know, as, as we read Paul's words where he says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking about uh, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Maybe you've been convicted in your own heart of like, man, I've been really self-absorbed. I've only been thinking about me. I, I, I've not been thinking about others and honoring others. Or maybe there's a specific instance or circumstance or situation. And if that's you, I just want you to stand to your feet for just a moment here. I wanna take a moment to pray over us in this room that we would repent, that we would be set free from that selfishness. But if you know, man, that's been me. I, I have not lived with that mindset. I've not lived with that character. Austin, thank you. Come on, let's take a moment to pray. Jesus, you see these sons and daughters standing to their feet who crave and desire to be more like you. Humble, honoring of others less self-focused, more you-focused. Holy Spirit, convict our hearts, empower us to walk in a new direction, to live in a new direction, increase our compassion, compassion for people, increase our humility, help us to be humble, help us to recognize the need of others over the need for ourselves because we trust that you'll provide every need. As we obey your word, you'll give us everything we need. So if we've been self-centered, Father, we repent. We wanna be more like Jesus. And your Holy Spirit makes us more like him. So Holy Spirit, come do a work on our heart. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's give God praise that he made a way. Come on, that he's making all things new, that there's grace and there's mercy. When we've fallen short, he's done what we couldn't do ourselves. Amen. Let's, let's praise him.